Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. What's your favorite type of Monanza? Mine's when it's like all yellow, no brown spots, no greens either. <laughs> the favorite Bonanza? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Like the type of fruit? It sounds like he's describing a banana. Bonanza fruit? Oh, the, you're joking. That, that was like I'm making a, a joke. That was Boo-doo. like it's a bad one joke. of those kids. Like, a, <laughs> like jokes like you English tell your four-year-olds. Yeah. Because yeah. Bonanza and banana yeah. are spelled close together? Yeah, I don't they think sound it's similar. an English joke as much as just like a... Bad joke. Like a bad... Uh, maybe yeah. dad joke even. I think it's a dad joke. Yeah. I, I think end it, up bad it's, it's dad in that joke. category. I mm-hmm. eat a lot of brown bananas because... Because it takes two seconds for I'll tell you brown. who'd rather eat a brown one that's like about to be, you know, look like... Turn into banana bread. Yeah. What we call... Gary pig, Newcomb. Pig food. Really? You love a, a real... Yeah. Gary, Gary, Gary Newcomb now, made it an ethical and moral, <laughs> you know, statement inside of our house to eat brown bananas. Well, so that's where it started for me. Like, I'm not going to throw away bananas, but I would prefer a yellow one. You know what I'm saying? Like, See, he would prefer... I mean, it, he went really? to the store... Or, or did it, like, did it just shift that way because of the moral stand? Oh, 100%. But I'm saying if he went to Walmart and there was, like, brown ones there, yeah. he'd pick those up, and by the time we got home, he yeah. would have told us, you're going to eat those brown ones, and you're going to love it, yeah. because hmm. not everybody gets something for free in life. Yeah. Right, Gary? That's right. It's well, all about here's my money. Question. It's all about the money, man. <laughs> my question, though, is would he eat a black bear bonanza? Yeah. Ooh, oh. Excellent. And Bringing that's exactly where we're starting. Bringing it back. We have one. Well, we have many, many special guests today. It's true. But one of many? our special guests today is many James Brandenburg. James, this is your first time on the Bear Grease it is. render. Yep. Oh, now, you're it? a long time Bear Grease yeah. going, throwing old school. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah. A yeah. devotee. He, so, James would have been on the Bear Grease podcast 
Didn't we oh. do a live render last oh, year yeah, at yeah, the Black yeah, Bear? Yeah, you were on that. At the Black at Bear. the Black Bear. The first Bonanza. annual. Yeah. Black Bear Bonanza. Yes. And so the reason, part of the reason James is here, well, that's not why he's here. He's here because he's James Brandenburg. Oh, yeah. And he's just here. Because he's, we're he's huge just that JB fans. And he's got mm-hmm. a cool truck. Got a good truck. <laughs> good what kind of trucks he got? He's got a Chevy A7. What is that thing? That's a GMC AT4. Okay. AT4. I like looks, those I AT4s. Tell you, it looks good. It's man. Got some, I've got a GMC, but it's not quite that new and fancy, James. It's oh. got some nice flavor on the on the camper shell. Yep. We got a Pebble Mine sticker. I saw yeah. the Pebble Mine sticker. A BHA sticker. It's got no. tires. It's yeah. got the wheels. I mean, it's got the stuff, you know. Well, you walked right past his truck and walked right past mine. What did you think of mine? I thought your truck looked real good, 2014 too. 2014 Chevy oh, Silverado. Totally functional. 2014 <laughs> Silverado work truck edition. Absolutely. I know. We hear it all commercials all the time. Been to Montana pulling mules like four times. New Mexico, Colorado. Been... All over the country. As a shout V6. out to General Motors, and every never time I washed. think about that, <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. Every time I think about that truck and you hauling that mule trailer with two mules in it with a V6 in there, I'm always impressed. Oh, me too. I hey, can't believe it. So is everybody I pass. It, it might impress <laughs> you more to know I drove it with and? a V6 in there. So with mules on the back. Oh, really? And so I think that. You know, that kind of gives it an extra layer of credibility because uh-huh. it was going about 20 miles faster than when yep. Clay drove it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. It'll, it'll pull That's that the truth. trailer 70 miles per hour all the way to Montana. Now, really. now uh, James, a do you that. have to have a souped-up new GMC to attend the Black Bear Mananza? Gosh, I or, hope not. Or are all vehicles welcome? All vehicles welcome. Okay, so the teacher in me is wanting to put some structure to the Black Bear Bonanza and what we're okay, talking about. You James, want to tell us it? about the Black Bear Bonanza. All right, all right. The 2023 Black Bear Bonanza. It's a, uh educational fundraising event. Um, it's put on by Arkansas BHA. It'll be March 4th at the Benton County Quail Barn. In Bentonville, Arkansas. Tickets. March 4th is a Saturday. It is a Saturday. Let me, let me start this over. He said this was a fundraiser event. People don't like to go to fundraisers. Or educational This is a, yeah. a stomp down good time. That's right. About Arkansas black bears and a bunch of cool people <laughs> and a podcast. And yeah, I was thinking that we need to start with a better and knives. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it'll, be, it'll be so much fun when people get there that they won't even know <laughs> that, that it's, it's a, a fundraiser. fundraiser. <laughs> that it's a fundraiser slash educational event. Fun. Yes. Yeah. Fundraiser. Put, put yeah. In the fun and fundraiser. In, that's right. There we go. <laughs> I heard there they we were going to have a live black bear just roaming loose in the event. Dancing black bear. Don't let yeah. that secret get out. <laughs> we need to keep that right so here in the room. What are we doing? What are we doing at the Black Bear Bonanza? Okay, so we're gonna do. We'll have some cooking demos. Um, we're gonna do a bear grease render podcast. So, so we'll all be there. Well, I mean, there will be. I mean, I, I'm I pretty know. confident everybody in this room will be there. Okay. I'm 99% confident that everyone in this room will be there. I mean, I'll go if Misty goes. We got to talk to Isaac. See if he'll come. I'll go with Josh. I really if want Josh to. Goes. Yep. You'll go if Josh goes. Okay, we got a Sweet. deal. Well, Brent Reeves will be there. Yep, Brent's gonna he's gonna MC the Owl Hoot contest oh. for us this year. Oh, yes. Very nice. And you're gonna judge it this year, Clay. Yes. So last year Clay MC'd. Okay. And this year we're gonna put his yes. judging skills to the test. That's what you need to do. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'll be the yeah. greatest Owl Hoot judge that ever walked this continent. I have no doubt. It, so that like means he food, can't compete. Exactly. It's like a food I'm, I'm not saying I'm the greatest Owl Hooter. No, I know that. But I'm saying you can't compete no. in a contest. But he would be like if like the scary food critic came to your restaurant. Yeah. 
and was like picking a p- apart every single thing yeah. you did when it comes exactly. to Al Hoots. Clay's he's, the, he's the Gordon Ramsay of exactly. Al Hoots. Your trill, yeah. trill was lacking a little bit. Yeah. Oh, let me hear your laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. Hey, you know what I want to see with this, this Al Hooten contest? I'd like I'd like to see the best guys in the world come in here. That'd be awesome. Who is the I, guy? Who is the guy on the front porch of that old house? He's just a dude from Missouri. Hey man, There's he's a lot of good, good ones as, up in Missouri, man. It's about as good as it gets. It is. And see, what I want to do is I want to start bringing in these guys, and like they would become legends. You know how like friends. Like a, like a guy would have a racehorse, and he would be like, "I want that racehorse." Yeah, and oh. he's up in the stands watching. I'm going to pay for this guy to come down here and he's going to be like like a ringer. I'm imagining he's be like you know my guy. Yeah, I'm imagining like 20 years in the future this has turned into like the bass fishing circuit where they have <laughs> logos all over their oh, clothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they pull in in the big trucks yeah. completely loaded so, up just to make an ounce. If you have yeah. if you if you're listening to this Bridge and you're in the contiguous United States, um, you should come to Bentonville, yeah. Arkansas for our Al Hooten contest. Mm-hmm. And when is it? And I think even it's March 4th. Okay. That's a Saturday. Uh, it's a Saturday. Even people from Alaska and Hawaii are was, welcome, Clay. I, I, There's no barred owls over there. They don't know how to hoot. I would think people in Canada. <laughs> I feel come. like you're setting up a real underdog story for a, you a, really are. a Hawaiian <laughs> or an Alaskan. <laughs> yeah. I just heard half of Alaska <laughs> light up. <laughs> or someone from the Caribbean. I mean, Incredible. we're not limited oh, yeah, sure, to. Sure. Yeah. We could have a true cool runnings kind of thing here. Exactly. Oh, Jamaican there you go. Oh, it would sure right. make Jamaican. somebody from out of this country would. I'll be honest. I'm just going to be honest. Okay, so now I'm imagining... Josh Spillmaker, who is in the room and a part of the render today, as a real sort of John Candy-esque expat okay. who moves to Jamaica and yeah, coaches Antigua. the Antigua. Okay. Coaches what if, the what if you got kicked out of the render and you went down there <laughs> yeah. and turned yeah. Came back guys to a up Rolling large with my team. Yeah. Come back in here. I wow. feel like this, this is, is some big. high quality bear grease intellectual the property. Disney, the Disney movie. So yeah. where are we right at? Now. Okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> we're, okay. We've what, got. So, hold on, Isaac. How are okay. You new, new hashtag. Isaac quit interrupting. <laughs> I'm excited about okay. the bonanza. <laughs> okay. Wait. Let Misty talk. Yeah. I'm going. <laughs> we got two now. I, Isaac, don't interrupt. Okay. So we got Al Hoot contest. Al Hoot contest. We're gonna uh, Myron Means from the Game and Fish Commission. Large carnivore. Yep. Biologist. He will do another Q and A session for us. <laughs> How big a boy are you? Myron will be wearing a pair of overalls and John Deere cap. If you, if you have a question as to how big he is, uh, Clay did a video with him on a bear den study that's available somewhere. If in the only they knew how universe. big I was. Yeah, it's all about scale on video. It is that's scale. True. Um, the newer things that we're adding to it this year will be we're going to do a butchering demo. Oh, that's part okay. of this is is we a, butchering. A deer, hopefully a deer. If we can get one, you know, if it's not that, we'll get a a, a pig or a goat or something like that. It's generally the same thing. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is introduce people to the fact that we go outside. Yeah, we can hike, we can bike, but we can also hunt and fish. These things are very normal activities that that we engage in, and and we have a lot of people moving into the area who maybe don't do that, but are interested in learning how. We're going to try to break down the barriers to that so that they have a little bit more confidence. We're introducing them to BHA as, a, as an avenue to gain those skills. And then the, f- the fundraising piece of it, dirty word. <laughs> um, we've got a couple of things that we're going to uh, raffle off, but I'm going to, this I'm going to big. pass this around. So Metaphorically um, and physically. It is. It's a very large knife. 
And, and this knife was made by Garrett Polk. This knife... Uh, this is not one you just want to go traipsing through the woods on your hip. Well, you see, could. You could. It, and and this is what Garrett told me beautiful. yesterday. This is what he told me about it yesterday. It's a beautiful knife. The handle is made with a femur bone from oh, wow. Batman. So Clay's best. Oh, really? That, that handle bone, it looks like elephant ivory. It, it is does. not. It is the femur wow. bone from the largest black bear I've ever killed. Yep. True story. We'll get some good pictures of, the, of this up on the Instagram, but... Um, He's steel like, what, is four, AEBL four and steel. Four and a half inch blade, probably four and a half, five inch Probably blade. four and a half, five inch blade. I've got the particulars. And what Garrett told me is this knife is made to be used. Okay. He said. That's what they all say. He, yeah, they all want them to be taken out into the field and used. And wow. then he made the sheath for it, and it's got a beaver tail inlay on the sheath. And that beaver was trapped on public land here in Arkansas by one of our board members, Brad Green. Nice. So. We will. So we're this knife will be in the you'll special be able to buy raffle. It. Yeah, you'll be able you to said, buy a ticket and then put it in a bucket and yeah, it's great, man. I, I really like that bare bone, man. It, it, for real, it looks like looks like ivory. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Josh's thing? Yeah, what? your hat. Oh, oh yeah, the stakes are high for the owl hoot contest. Yes. So the Whoa. winner, the winner of the owl hoot contest, Clay, oh, wow. is going to get a handmade, a, a handmade. Coonskin cap. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, made by Josh Spillmaker. Yeah. There's only a handful of those mm-hmm. in this fact. On this great planet. Yeah. Right. So um So last year we had people from all over the country come. We I did mean, like we had from Pennsylvania to Idaho. We had from the Dakotas all the way to South Texas. You know, from across the major, country. Uh, last year, I don't know how many people were there. We had about four hundred. Yeah. People. And that was our first year and, and we didn't I mean, it was the first year we did it. it, it it's a good event. And I'll, I'll be there all day yep. just hanging out. It's family-friendly. Bring your kids. Everybody 12 and under gets in free. This year, tickets are super easy. It's 10 bucks for adults to get in the door. Yeah. That, you know, have a good time all day. Yep. Game and Fish Commission is going to support us as well. So they'll have some, some educational booths and stuff like that. And then, you know, we can't do all of this without sponsors so far. Our big sponsors are Umarex, the Aragon mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. You know, people that listen to this podcast would have heard their ads. Yep. Yep. Vortex has has just, they were like, sign us up. We want to help out. And Umarex oh, was the same way. Go, they Vortex. reached out to us. They're oh, like, nice. hey, when's that going on? We want to be a part of it. So Good. And we're going to do a live Bear Grease render there. I'm not sure who's going to be on it yet. So all of you in this room, just be on your best behavior. Be like, so, and drawing, things aren't looking good maybe, for me. Maybe you can we? Maybe you get picked. Maybe you won't. This is our audition. I can guess. we plead <laughs> our case, or is it a drawing? There, or well, how that, that works. There's a persuasive essay. Yeah, a persuasive <laughs> essay. Well, that's great. So that's and March what, the fourth, Benton County Quail Barn in Bentonville, in Bentonville, Arkansas. Doors open at nine. We'll go from nine to five. There'll be things going on all day. Come for the whole day, have a good time. We'll have a website up. So it's the easiest way to find it is go to backcountryhunters.org, look for the events page, and look for Black Bear Bonanza. And uh, by the time this podcast comes out, that page will be up and people can buy tickets. And folks, if you're coming, buy tickets and let us know you're coming so we make sure and have enough of everything there for you. Enough to, corn dogs. Enough corn dogs, water, and Porta Johns. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm Those gonna, are the I'm three be, things I need. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a corn dog stand there. No, no, I'm not. Clay's corn dog stand. Well, great. Fantastic. 
Misty Newcomb had a big day yesterday. Huge. Well, uh, yeah. She Did she you... killed her first duck. Congratulations. Tell us about that, Misty. Okay, Was it everything ha- you hoped it would be? I, 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 I have things to say. All right. I'm not the big hunter in our family. The hunting that I've done, done pretty surprising. much in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's it's actually clay. You may be surprised. Um, but the last 20 years, when I've gone hunting, most of the time I'm a chaperone. I'm sitting right. or like just coming along to hang out with clay. I could get into duck hunting. Like I could I could be a duck hunter. And I, I believe that's huntress. Huntress. That's right. That's right. We, uh, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I really... Like I've seen pictures of people duck hunting and it kind of looks really different and I knew waders were involved. So I figured, okay, it's going to be cold, wet, early. This doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but going to take one for the team. First of all, Amory, just as kind of a continuation mm-hmm. from last, from Amory Dramus, Amory Dramus, who was on the last podcast, gave me some tips that she learned from Kaylee that, that she also learned and both were on the last podcast. Shooting tips. Shooting tips. And so we went out the first day, that evening we got there and we hey, shot Hey, Misty, ski. I also want to tell you, I am right-handed and left-eye dominant as well. Okay. So you're not the only one. Well, and it doesn't even matter, it turns out, when yep. you're shooting ducks because you're looking at the target, not at the, not down the barrel. And so that was a, a, a big game changer. So she gave me a few tips and really, i I, I couldn't believe what a difference it made in, in a matter of seconds, not hours and not lots of practice. But I was able to shoot those skeet and that was fun, super fun. I mean, not 100%, but still better than 0%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next morning we woke up and I really didn't know what to expect. The dog situation in duck hunting is pretty amazing because uh, the dogs just like, it's super fun to watch a dog that's been bred to do something that has a function. It it's really amazing to watch them. And so the dog was like antsy and he was sitting, they had this chair hooked up to a tree and it was just really enjoyable to watch him. You know, we would, we would talk and have, which is like thing two. So thing one, (laughs) the dog that's, that's, and I'll come back to thing two in a second, but um, you can actually talk in duck hunting and, but the dog was no nonsense. He was just like sitting there and he, he was alert and watching. And he, if you watch the dog, you could see, okay, here's where the ducks are coming in from. And so they were really, everybody was so, so nice. Britt and Clay, especially, you know. We, we were with Amory Dramas, mm-hmm. me and Brent, and then Luke Naylor. Who's also who's been on the podcast. Who is the. Uh, waterfowl biologist. No. He was. No, he's the director. Oh. Chief. The, the chief, chief of the wildlife division. Chief of the wildlife wildlife division. Way to go. Yeah. And they were so, so nice. So when the, the first little, the first thing of ducks came in, what do you call them? They were teal. Well, but what do you call, flock. what do you call, is it a f- flock? flock? It's a flock. Okay, flock. so the first flock of ducks came in. They flock. just let me shoot. No one else shot. And the first one came in and it was like, ah, I don't know what to do. Where's my gun? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, like, I, it takes a minute to, like, get in position. You don't, you don't see them coming in. You yeah. Know? I mean, like, you're just kind of, you're kind of hiding, trying to be still. And it's just like, all of a sudden, like, they're there, they're there. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And, you know? and so, like, I thought I would be prepared, but it took a second to get the gun up. And I mean, I think I shot that first time, but definitely mm-hmm. didn't hit anything. But then the second one that came in, they did it again. They just let me shoot. And I, it was a, a group of a flock of teal, mm-hmm. which apparently is a real fast little bird. And mm-hmm. I shot and I got, I got one and it was super exciting, like super exciting. There's no film of it. Cause we were just, uh, you know, it was all hands on deck to get me to. <laughs> Where you needed the, to be. Yeah. And, and then, so what was, then they released the dog and the dog just jumps up and looks like it's 
you know, this was this is what its purpose in life is, and got to fulfill it. And it was so. I love the dog. I mean, Baron. Yeah, Baron. I'm Eight probably black lab. Probably gonna have to. And so get the dog to then, go with that. So kind of, then it, we weren't working many mallards. We were sitting on the edge of a overgrown field that had just kind of been had not been planted or tilled that year and it kind of butted up against the slough and it had flooded and so basically it was a flooded field that didn't have crops in it but it had coffee bean and a lot of just like not actual weeds and vegetation in it and they had they had seen some mallards right there the day before so we were sitting there but the mallards weren't working much but we'd have teal come bombing in and so after Misty killed, Misty killed one on the second group of duck mm-hmm. ducks that came in. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, "Sweet, we got a duck." And so she was gaining some confidence. And so the ne- the, the next time I s- we're working a group of like seven or eight teal, and they're about to light, and I say, "Misty, just start pulling the trigger and don't stop until He's, it clicks." Clay said, "Shoot three <coughs> times." Yeah, she, 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 you know she's got a plug in there, and I said, "Shoot three times," and she just looked at me just like. Oh, we can do that. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. <laughs> I hope it wasn't bam, 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 bam. Well, I hope bam, it was bam, just, bam. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so thing one that I like about duck hunting dogs, thing two, you get to talk to people. It's real social. It's a lot more. And, yep. and it, we were with great people. They were a lot of fun. And everybody was, I mean, they were across the board, just fantastic hosts. And I learned a whole lot about, about ducks and, and just, it was just fun to be with people. And it's a lot and then thing three is just oh, the wow. intensity of it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, when you go on a deer hunt, it's, uh, <laughs> you might sit slow. for five weeks and take, yeah. take a long nap. Yeah. And I, I remember going on Clay one time describing our Shep when he was taking Shep hunting and he said it was like being in a sleeping bag with a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> what? Real? With this, a, this, I'm well, just like, just like you're restless. And I kind of felt like Shep in all those deer hunts. It's like, well, we're just going to sit here and. It's it's just not as it it's rewarding at the end, but it's different than than duck hunting. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas duck hunting, like they come in and it's like boom, boom, boom. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. You, big. So you like the dog work? I did. Yeah, that was pretty I, amazing to watch. I've got the perfect breed of dog that you guys. I mean, you got the perfect dog for me. I do. <laughs> I do. What kind of dog have you got? Boykin Spaniel. It, it, how's it doing? Great. It you talked about yeah yeah you talked about the. And the dog sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we went, we went this past Sunday and we had some geese come in and they landed too far out where we, we had no shot at him, but he could see them. And I was sitting right next to him. We were on the, on the bank of this strip pit pond and he was vibrating, <laughs> like literally, <laughs> he wanted me to let him go yeah. so yeah. bad, you know, and I didn't have to hold on to him, but I was yeah. just in case that's the. I mean, that there's a lot of good things in duck hunting, but that's yeah. probably the best part of it yeah. for me is just watching that dog get so excited to go out and catch the thing that it was made to do. Yeah. And Boykins mm-hmm. are yeah. Boykins are great family dogs. They're great pets. Mm-hmm. Like ours just, you know, he'll just lay around the house and be snuggly and everything. And then when it's time to go, he's at the door whining. Ready, he's to ready, ready to go. How big is he? He's 35 pounds. He's about... Okay. about Yay tall, you know, what is that, 18, 24 inches at the shoulder? Okay. Yep, pretty small. Smaller, yeah. much smaller than a than a lab. Yeah, yeah. It was a Isaac, cool Isaac, you've experience. been duck hunting quite a bit? Oh, yeah. Where you been? 
I can't tell you. <laughs> tell me you're <laughs> tell me every single spot you've been i've been in the delta in arkansas a lot and then just uh you know west central missouri quite a bit there's mm-hmm. a lot of Have you been killing some ducks? scratching out no no lights out days up in missouri and i managed to time really? it so that uh i w- my time down in arkansas last week was bookended by two really great days on either side what's a great day a limit a limit four mallards yeah so were you by least. yourself? No, no. I, I, I've got a buddy down there in uh, Duvall's so Bluff. You got that two has limits? A camp. No, 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 no. They were limiting the day, the two days before I showed up. You weren't even there. I scratched out a few ducks, and then they started killing them again once we left. So, hmm. gotcha. Feels good. Gotcha. Man, I tell you, here's the thing that I have yet to. Well, I'm getting. I'm starting to understand it. Just the more you're exposed to duck hunting, the more you understand the the draw to it and if you understand the the draw to it and that's not the best way to describe it but the more that you can get through the hard part of right. it um like for instance we took some people coon hunting the other night for the first time mm-hmm. and i was trying to understand their position inside this coon hunt we just went out in the dark and turned this dog loose that they have no connection to nor do they probably really have any value for a coon I mean, like most people would see a coon right. dead on the side of the road or truck and pictures, and it's, it's not this like highly valued animal. And you hear a lot of negative press about coons being overpopulated and all this stuff, nest predators. To me, when I hear a dog bark just as faint as you could hear one, and you walk to it, and you get like 100 yards from the tree, and you see glowing orange eyes, and you hear your dog underneath it, like that is a incredible like feeling and when you walk up and you see a ring tail hanging off the bottom of that tree and you, you don't get that just in a moment you get that over a lifetime of wanting to love something and 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 kind of what it represents uh-huh. so to me a treed coon is just like wow yeah but somebody else might just be like dude i see coons every day on the side of the road dead yeah i'm starting to learn about what that is for duck hunting yeah uh-huh. because duck hunting is a ton of work Yes. It's, it, you get, wake up extremely early, and more times than not, you don't do very good. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> this is the one thing about big game hunting is that you can go have a bad streak of deer hunting, but at the end of the season, you know, maybe you're going to get your buck. And yep. the, the payoff is so big yeah. right. that mm-hmm. it makes all that suffering worth it. Mm-hmm. And so... I hiked... We hiked... We calculated about seven miles on Sunday at the place that we went. Duck hunting. Duck hunting. And just so in hiking the, in, carrying decoys, and then we did a little bit of just walking around, maybe jump shooting if we could find any. And we couldn't find any. We didn't fire our guns on Sunday. Hiked seven miles. And even if we had, I mean, the most we would have brought home is six ducks, which right. is not nearly as much stuff as what you get off of one deer. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So it's, but, but the experience of being out there, you're out early, you get to see everything. It's exciting. You're talking about where you're going to go. Yeah. You're calling. That's the, that's the fun part, right? Yeah. Is talking yeah. to the ducks mm-hmm. and trying to get that figured out. Um, I don't think I you can it. underestimate the like aspect of like the foolishness of it. Right. And like, so that goes hand in hand with like the talking, like camaraderie, right? Yeah. Where you're all up in the middle of the night in the dark 
standing in water. Hopefully oh, it's yeah. really cold. Yeah. Like that's like the best you case scenario. Be yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're like doing this all together with your friends and you're like, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Yeah, exactly. Because I can't not. And, and there's, like, and no, it's not like you get a trophy duck. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, you right. know, I used to think that, but there, there are, so first of all, a banded, if you shot yeah, a banded true. bird, that's, that's a trophy. But, we went on a guided hunt in Nebraska last year and we shot some widgeon that were, I, we'd never even seen a widgeon before. I'm not a very seasoned duck hunter, but we shot a widgeon that everybody else in the blind was like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And then yeah. when you start looking at it, you're like, oh, I understand why this is, it, it's really nuanced, I guess. But, it, but it's completely luck. I mean, it's, it's not like it's oh, not yeah. like yeah, it's all that duck on a trail cam, yeah. and I'm gonna go hunt it. Right, well, but it, but it's not. I, I think that would. Uh, I don't know. That that's the best way to say it, Josh. No, but it, it is true. <laughs> like you're not targeting a specific duck. Right. You're so not like, like I hope. I hope. Well, at uh, least moose you guys aren't. I mean, <laughs> that teal that Misty shot the other day. We had that thing on trail cam for a week. I've got a serious question. A mile away. He wasn't daylighting, and as, then all of a sudden, as someone that's new to. it. I, I picked up that bandits were banded ducks were really valuable. What's the is it just that it's cool? Yeah, yeah. it's just not like totally, it's yeah. just that it's one. And, yeah, it's rare. It's rare. Maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know how many ducks literally are banded. I mean, let's just yeah. say one in five hundred thousand ducks. I don't know. It's is banded, and, and it's kind of neat that you can plug in the information on the band, see where it was banded. It's yeah. like life cycle. That's that's a neat little nuance. There, into. there is a lot of little neat things about duck hunting, and one of them is the diversity of ducks. Like when we go out here squirrel yep. hunting, like we could kill fox squirrel or gray squirrel. Mm-hmm. When you go deer hunting, you know you're going to kill a deer. When you go duck hunting, you all the different ducks are are there's different value added to How each How many of different them. ducks can you kill in Arkansas? Oh, man. Lots. You're asking the wrong guy. There, there are 41 in North America. I don't know how many really, are in the and they're, Mississippi and they're specific. I would and guess about 15 to 17 species just off the top of my but head. But you're probably, yeah. in any one given sit, only going to kill like two or three varieties. Right. Mm-hmm. But the guys here in Arkansas, at least, want to kill mallards. They mm-hmm. can right. care less about most other ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, just what, uh, except for teal. Misty it, and I are big teal people. I'm would, a huge teal fan. <laughs> and, and they're really cool. Now, what I wanted to ask about the teal is, how are you going to cook the teal? So I'm, okay, so I have one, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a teal. Yep, okay. <laughs> and it's not big. Wait, wait, wait. You just have one? So you shot at all the other ones and you guys didn't bring so any more back? We have, no. yeah. Okay. Well, there was one other teal killed. Okay. It, it was a, a two bird morning. Okay. And I've. I really want to mount mine. It is a really pretty bird. Okay. And so, um, I, and I was having a hard time deciding whether to mount it or to cook uh-huh. it because I, the whole reason I went was I wanted to cook a duck. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I got. I say your I, first one you mount. I mounted it's, that one. And, real pretty. And the, and the other one was donated to me to cook. So, <laughs> okay. um, but I think I, 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 we had a gumbo, a duck gumbo. Uh-huh. And I thought that would be super, like it was. We it just was, say Dumbo. You you would call it demo. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, I thought that would. I want to do something where it's either pressure cooked or mm-hmm. you know low and slow. I we tried some duck. We tried to cook duck last year. We're not rare meat people. Okay, and that I think makes a huge difference in whether you like duck or not. I oh, think that, big time. Yeah, yeah. And so since that's not who we are, we're gonna have to find another way than just like you know smoking or grilling it up. And, Look. Look up teal in a jar. Okay, that's a that's a way to do it, and you 
you know, put all the ingredients into a jar and cook it low and slow. Okay. Um, I've heard that's pretty good. I think I think I might have tried it once, but I can't remember for sure. Brad that we were talking about earlier with the beaver tail. Okay. They did it once and he, he's not a big duck hunter, uh-huh. but they thought it was okay. So it's really funny because I have this one teal and in the past two days, everyone's given me a recipe <laughs> oh, yeah. and it's like, well, guys, I've got this one teal. <laughs> yeah, one. We're going to invite a bunch of friends over. Yeah. yeah Our for, other friends. For my, have, a, have a bite each. For my plate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my plate of teal. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. People at Sport Dog know that having a well trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner, it's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrels' ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. I'd like to talk about a man named Tecumseh. 
Is that why we're here? Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. I, I like mm. I like the way they say his name, Tecumseh. Okay. Well, there is a that couple of ways. Robert Morgan said it. I know. Tecumseh. I like it. Uh, is that the way you wanted to say it too? No, guys? Tecumseh. I've always been a Tecumseh guy. What did you? What, what was you started was... off Tecumseh, and then really? you, you and then you were code switching on me. Yeah, you'd be saying Tecumseh, and then I say Tecumseh, and then you'd switch over to Tecumseh. It's true. And then somebody and gave then when you you're advice. not around, he goes back to yeah. Tecumseh. Well, it, and it's neither one of them. It's Tecumseh. Oh, there's a th at the end. Tecumseh. Man, on the way here, I said his brother's name. Like two hundred times, so I could remember it, and uh -huh. now I forgot again. Tinsquatawa, Tinsquatawa, and I said it different ways more Ten, than once on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, because this is what I want to start off on talking about. Tecumseh is that I have never Isaac can vouch for this. Sounds like we, Mike Tyson. <laughs> I've never researched something so long. This was well over a year ago that I started researching Tecumseh, and as I as I learned more and more, I pronounced the names different, and as I kind of nailed it down. But this was probably the most, well, for sure, the most research that I ever did. You went and, to New York, Maryland. Okay, let's Ohio, tell. I went to Oklahoma. I went, I went to New York to meet with Robert Morgan. Morgan to meet with New York Times bestselling author Robert Morgan. If I'm an, if I'm ever a New York Times bestselling author, I want y'all to introduce you're just me gonna have every your, single way. You're gonna have you're your name like, legally this is my changed. Friend, New this York is, Times bestselling this author. This is my Clay husband, Newcomb. New York Times bestselling author Clay Newcomb. I, 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 Clay, I, I this is my new myself, friend Betty. Anytime I <laughs> like say Robert name. Morgan's name, I, that's the way I want to introduce him. It's like yeah. you did this, my man. Maryland um, was New York so, Times bestselling author Stephen Rinella. Well, he is for sure. Yeah, yeah multiple so times. So the so Robert Morgan, I I went to his house to talk to him. And uh, I also interviewed him about another topic that we haven't even done oh. yet. Um, then I went to I went to Maryland for Peter Cousins. Went to D.C., Washington, D.C. Yeah, Maryland, essentially, yep. um, to meet with Peter Cousins, who is the author of the book Tecumseh the Prophet, which is, I mean, I'm not really authorized to say what is the seminal work on Tecumseh because there are a lot of books on Tecumseh and a lot of stuff. But I I have not found one that is that I liked as much as this one. And I looked at several of them. So this is a great book, Tecumseh and the Prophet. It's it's a it's a read, man. I mean, it's it's a read. It's not it's no joke. Um so we went up there. Now I went to Dallas, Texas to meet Dr. Dave Edmonds who basically has spent his life as a historical researcher of Native American history, but he's also very involved in with multiple tribes and, and, and stood before, been, been involved in court cases and different things that have to do with tribal history. There's a lot of, there, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that, I mean, that has always gone on with the tribes and the U.S. government and land and treaty stuff. They're still, I mean, it's pretty wild. Yep. So Dave Edmonds, very, very, very knowledgeable guy. And uh, Dave's like 81 years old. That's it? But wow. He was, uh, yes, he, he was a new guy. guy. And then um, Chief uh, of I the went Shawnee to Nation. Miami, Oklahoma. Yep. And met with Chief Ben Barnes. Which was a really yeah. Can you really say that right, thing. please, Miami? I thought about that, Miami, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you went to 
Well, we went to Ohio. Watch the Tecumseh outdoor drama. Yeah, me and Isaac drove to <laughs> drove to Ohio to watch. There is a outdoor drama in Chillicothe, Ohio that's been going on for fifty years. Yeah, I mean a major outdoor production with like a hundred cast members. Wow, wow! And like, a big outdoor horses. stadium. Gunshots that they don't prepare you for. Gunshots oh, okay. that will <laughs> okay, yeah. deafen you. <laughs> yeah. Our ears are ringing. two-hour-long outdoor play We got like to, live horses. Yeah. Wow. wow. Indian battles. Hang out with the guy who produces it and the pyrotechnics guy who yeah. have both been there for a long time. Yeah. So there's a lot on Tecumseh. And the best part of it is, is that I didn't know anything about Tecumseh a year and a half ago. Nothing. I, I, I'll tell you how I got interested in him is I was reading another book, a book by Alan Eckhart called The Frontiersman, which I didn't, oh boy, I'm going to make some enemies. I, I didn't like the book. I actually couldn't finish it. It was written in a, it's a very famous book. It's, it's, it's he wrote very well known. A well known biography of Tecumseh and he also wrote the outdoor drama, didn't he? That's right. And he's, you know, he's Eckhart. He's, Eckhart. Yeah. He's, he's passed away, but he, uh, his his books, especially the Frontiersmen, were done. They're they're written. What do they call it? Like uh, a historical narrative, historical fiction. Yeah, basically they uh. take real stuff that they know happened. Yep, and kind of dramatize it inside of tell writing. it in a story form. So it's it, it's it's very informative in that you you get, probably get a really good picture of what happened, but they're totally just guessing about like. You know, they they would put right. words in Tecumseh's mouth about him talking to. It, it would be a story that is informed by the historical figures and a lot of research, but factually, it's like. Yeah, I had I had a hard time. Yeah, my wife loves books like that. Well, she should yeah. check it out. She loves a historical fiction. So, but I was telling you I feel why. Like too. I was telling you why I I was reading that book and it was talking about Tecumseh because he he's in the book and it and it talked about how his name meant panther crossing the sky that's Man, pretty dope they mm-hmm. knew how to name yeah they did. yeah and, and didn't squat well i mean my even mom just, just gave me Josh. syllables that's a good one yeah, yeah. It, it's so complex though ten squatawa's name wasn't ten squatawa until after he had the visions okay his name was uh correct yeah yeah, still think it's a it's a better name than Josh. Sorry, man. Both of them are great. <laughs> so, so moms, you need to work a little harder. Yeah, at this. yeah. do do better. Both are strong in their own way. <laughs> the other thing that I wished I had known, which I declared on the podcast, was that I wish I had known about the burying a whitetail antler with an ambulance. Oh, that's cord. big. Yeah, mm-hmm. her yeah. chance. Did y'all do that yeah. with me, Dad? No, we. <laughs> We did not. You got that umbilical cord floating around anywhere? I don't Is know, Is it too man. late to bury it? I, man. Is there another it's... body part you could use? That's a great <laughs> Cut question. off a finger? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, um, Misty, what did you think of the podcast? I thought it was really good. I thought um, you're, you're taking a pretty complex topic, and you're just trying to look at it, you know, shoot it straight. Get get the get the facts and none of the other stuff around it. And I, you know, you acknowledged in the podcast that this kind of stuff, for no good reason, can be difficult to talk about because people get so um, I don't know. Pe- people get so easily offended and 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 don't necessarily want to look at things. Just yeah, 
mm-hmm. they people want to make a lot of a lot of qualifying statements around everything. And mm-hmm. I thought you did a good job of just like saying this is this is what happened. This is a story. It's a very intriguing story. I mean, there's so many different aspects of of this particular story as as you're going through it. It almost felt like it almost felt unreal. I mean, like the brother. <laughs> what did he? I, I I remember your phrase. Do you think he called that down? Yeah. What was oh, when, what was when, the when Tecumseh told William Henry Harrison that he was going to go back to Detroit and stomp his foot and it was going to the earth was going to shake his house down. Okay, yeah, and the, yeah, right, right. So the earthquakes and but there were just several aspects of it that were it yeah almost um, unbelievable. And I'm not saying that I don't believe these things happen. Like I I do believe these things happen, but I I just thought it was a great. It's a very intriguing tale. I'm looking forward to hearing the other two. Uh, I think there's it, it's a sad tale. I mean, yeah, it's, that, it's on, it. on a lot of different levels, personal, like what happened to his people. If, if I put myself, and I think that's what you did really well in this. You, you made to come to come to a person. Yes. Very you, good. You know, you made him a person that mm-hmm. you could relate to and not like this heroic figure, which he was, but, or, or you took someone whose life had a whole lot of dynamics in it that, that seemed too big to be real. And you could kind of feel like. Well, if I was in his boat, if I was in his shoes, this is yeah. how I would. Uh, yeah, I can understand. I can understand. He was this a man, man that better. loved his people. Yeah, I love. He loved it. being an Indian. Yeah, uh-huh. he loved living the way that they wanted to live. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's you know I think it also gives a level of well I'll let someone else I'll let someone else talk and if y'all don't Josh, say it I will. Josh, what you think? Well, uh, or what was? You can give an overarching statement, but like, what is one thing I can think of? One thing that if I were talking to you, I would get excited about, and I would say, "Man, you wouldn't believe this I, about this." I thought it was fascinating the overlap with Daniel Boone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was <laughs> did that surprise you, Dad? It did. Yeah, that was fa- that kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. Like, I I didn't I didn't quite you know I listened today to the podcast and I didn't quite catch all the timelines. Yeah. And then when you started talking about that, I'm like, oh man, this is like. Two huge figures in American history just yeah. palling around. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? That's, you think pre- at, that's at pretty the, incredible. At the very least, in more of uh, his, uh, Daniel Boone's biographies, it would come up. Oh, and by the way, he had these interactions with this probably the most prolific leader. But of it was like Native a ten year old kid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, like Daniel Boone wouldn't have even. Eventually, he he would have known who he I was. I mean, Shirley Tecumseh would have known who daniel boone was at oh, least yeah. at the very oh, yeah. least 100 percent. and uh yeah i thought that was pretty fascinating yeah yeah but we don't there is no record right of them actually no, no they were they, just they were they were contemporary all that yeah. stuff back there is so there is a lot of folklore around all those guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. folklore meaning just we're not exactly sure how to yeah. dial it in possibly exaggerated tales but that is not folklore right i mean like Tecumseh was was with Blackfish, who was his adopted father, and it was the same Blackfish that adopted Boone, and they would have absolutely overlapped. So I mean, there's no question about that. The the, the speculation is was was Tecumseh one of the kids that Boone gave candy to? Right. I, I didn't. The statement I made, I, I made two just interesting statements that I remembered. I remember. Boone telling his son Nathan that Blackfish would suck on a sugar cube mm-hmm. and give it to him. I mean, man, when you think about uh, like a way to like capture a moment in history, Boone knew how to do that. Yeah, and 
it showed so much of what Blackfish wanted from Boone uh-huh. and who he was. But but the way I said it in the podcast, it made it sound like Blackfish was giving candy to the kids. Boone was the one who also told Nathan, his son, that, hey, I, w- I would give candy. I guess he got sugar cubes from somewhere uh-huh. to the little kids in Chillicothe. Or, or they weren't in Chillicothe at that time. Uh, well, yeah, they were. He could have given a sugar cube to Tecumseh. Yeah. That's speculation. We don't know that. So I thought that was really fascinating. Also, also um, you know, we've talked a little bit about Chief Ben Barnes. Mm-hmm. Fascinating guy to hear speak. I mean, just oh. he seems very articulate and knowledgeable, and I'm hoping we're going to get to hear from him more. Oh, for sure. It was, it was kind of, I, I kind of hated it that he didn't show up more on this first episode. He just didn't, we didn't talk as much with him about the, chronology of Tecumseh's life uh-huh. so he weighs in a whole lot more in later episodes and we're going to hear about the Shawnee Nation today uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that yeah yeah but dad what do you think oh it is always very very good uh, really deep I mean it was just like I just couldn't believe all the action in that thing um an amazing guy you know, I read about Quanta Parker years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two guys remind me of each other. Yeah. Empire uh, of the Summer Moon. And I never dreamed there'd be an Indian more popular and a bigger significance than Quanta. I mean, he entertained presidents. and uh, <clears throat> But this guy was amazing. I mean, I liked it when they said, you have a personality arise they didn't say a generation or ever other generation but you see it in sports you know you go this is a generational athlete uh but he was one in a many 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 people that had the ability to lead uh just a natural ability mm-hmm. and yeah. you know his looks that was inter- you know that's kind that of interesting you know i mean yeah. he yeah. he had everything you would want in a leader he even had a limp where people could tell who he was from a yeah. distance. Yeah. I mean, he was a beautiful guy. He was built well. He was strong. He was, his voice, I mean, everything about him was said, I am the guy. Follow me. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure. Uh, I assume he took the nation down the right path. I don't know about that. I mean, right. you know, he cost a lot of lives by taking them in that direction. But, yeah. Uh, is also intriguing to me that it was just Ohio, Wisconsin, Indiana, you know, Illinois, just a mid America. Yeah, that, it, you know, it sounded like a pretty good plan to me. Let's go for that. Yeah, that's that's and that's so deep. It's it's hard to get everything right. But the the simplest way to say it is that Tecumseh didn't think that the whole continent of North America was going to be given back to the native americans they just wanted an indian nation yeah and that when you think about it is really doesn't sound that wild right oh, it's, it's feasible. Wild. i mean yeah. think about mm-hmm. europe think about europe mm-hmm. europe right. is full of different countries i mean there, there's i mean a country like the u.s that has this much geographic land of of contiguous you know geographic areas under the same jurisdiction of government is pretty wild and you know, if there was a if there was a country inside of this, heck, we we wouldn't. We'd just be like, yeah, that's it. Would have yeah. worked some way. I mean, we would have 
combined forces together and yeah. been like one country. I mean, who knows where it would have gone, but pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about Tecumseh that's so intriguing. And we really haven't even got into, these things are so hard to, to put together because we haven't even got into really what he did. Right. We, we described, his. we spent a lot of time on his childhood, which I thought, that's always one of the most interesting parts to me of these guys' lives is who made them and why are they the way they are? And when you see the crisis in Tecumseh's life, oh my gosh, we can't. Now, there are people on planet Earth today that can identify with living in a war zone and having people killed. I mean, this uh-huh. is not something that is unusual to the Humanity. human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for us here in North America, yeah. But I mean, that three major figures like every father he ever had died by the time he was 14 years old his his older brother who then was tasked to raise him chisequa dies chisequa says i don't want to be buried like these you're not supposed to say that word anymore squaw they don't say that anymore indians don't say that they don't they really don't. yep so but that's what that's what they said did but he know? said, I, I want the fowls of the air to pick my bones. I love that, man. Yeah. I just thought that was awesome. Pick I'm thinking that's kind of the way I want to go. We can you make know, that happen. Hey, Did you know there was a duck that had to get renamed because it was called an old squaw? Yeah. It's a long yeah. tail now. Yep. Yep. I'm for it. Yep. I just want it recorded. When I heard that, I immediately looked at Clay and said, hey, I don't feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> for what if man going hey, on the those, record? Those, the Native Americans... And this goes back to what's so intriguing to me from a language and f- kind of folk speech. Like where did where did the, kind of the American dialect come from? Is that the the Native American orators were powerful. You go back and listen to the very first introduction of the podcast. I start off with a quote from Tecumseh, where he's talking to who would eventually become a U.S. president, William Henry Harrison. Just listen to the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of Tecumseh quotes where, I mean, th- those guys, man, that's all they had. They didn't have written language. They didn't have, they didn't have books to write stuff in. I mean, in, in most of their history. What they had was spoken language, mm-hmm. and they were masters of it. And then when these Europeans came over here with the English language, they heard these guys talk and were like, wow. And, and, you know, Robert Morgan is the one who told me that, uh, well, I, I said all that to say what Chisequa said was, that's just the way they spoke. They were just dramatic in the way that they spoke. You know, he said, I, I want the fowls of the air to pick my bones. I don't want to be buried back at camp. But that would have really impacted Tecumseh. And, the, and I'm picking on two things here. The fog of death over his life, but then that translated into him being this leader visionary with um, with what he believed was in the best interest for his people and then him being this great orator and leader incredible stuff Isaac what was your favorite part I got three big ones okay one the idea that he like stood up on on the first war party outing 15 years old uh-huh. against like yeah if I was in that position, I'd be like, yep, we torture people. That's what I'm into now. Like, because I had just no, like, personal authority or, you know. Or identity. Yeah, to be able to be like, 
hey, guy, I, even if I felt that way, you know, and I'm not right. I'm not trying to map my my current understanding of the world onto these people. But to see someone do that is truly remarkable to me. Yeah. To stand stand against a trend. Yeah. You, you could you not, could not it just, up. but as a not as a full grown man, as a 15. I mean, right. to, to some degree he was. But like as a 15 year old boy, I was, you know, lighting bottle rockets with my buddies and getting up to no good. And he's like, hey, let's uh, let's reconsider this tradition. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. Two. I've been back and forth. So like. Hey, let me stop you. Hold okay. your number two. Okay. I want to talk about that because that was a definer of Tecumseh's life. Yeah. That was what got back to the American people that made them love Tecumseh. Was that, that was, that was part of what got back. And um, I had asked Peter Cozens, I said, where did, where did that come from? And, and in the section we used on the podcast, it was kind of like, we don't know where he got that. Like, how did that come? It, what wasn't on the podcast, because I just had to chop it, was he, he told me that there were some other chiefs, like way back, like a random chief every now and then <clears throat> would be like, hey, this is bad. We shouldn't do this. So he, he, he probably had that in his yeah in took his a historical lineage at some point, but he still had to stand up yeah. vehemently yeah. And we just told this time when he was fifteen when he yeah. did that that was the first time he made a stink about it yeah. But all through his life, even to yeah. his deathbed, he was going in and like scolding guys for for torturing prisoners, which was extremely common. Hmm. Hmm. Um, whole life and two. To bring it back to uh, Daniel Boone, uh, it makes me wonder, he was 10 years old when Daniel Boone was captured. Only five years later, he's standing up to a war party saying, like, let's reconsider how we operate here. So it wouldn't surprise me if he stood out as a child in this circumstance. You know what I mean? Right. Like, 10 years to 15 years old is not that big of a difference. Number two. Yeah. uh, I, like, my background, I maybe considered more of a bleeding heart or I don't know what you would want to call it, but like I empathize with the plight of native Americans and I feel kind of bad about the way that they have been treated historically speaking. And I was listening to a podcast recently that deals with a modern struggle of native rights against, uh, the established government. And I got to thinking like in any other circumstance, a conquered people, like it doesn't matter what they feel like the history of, people is that we conquer other peoples and then it's like too bad you lose and so i i was like is my feeling correct about this but one of the things that made me swing back to my original position on this is the idea that what is at stake here is not a conquered people versus a conqueror but it is a powerful entity that operates in bad faith Uh giving treaties and then going back on their word saying here's how we're going to deal with you and then discovering that that was a lie or a ruse to whatever. And so ultimately what we're saying is not only is this a people who was treated poorly in terms of they had the bad luck to be overran by people who had better technology and a bunch of disease, but then those people who were operating in power dealt in bad faith with them and have continued to. And so that's a lot of the issue that we're dealing with today, not this abstract concept of, this people was treated poorly back then, but our government said, here's how we'll operate with you. Here is a legal document that says, these are your rights. This is your place that continually was treated like garbage. Mm. 
And so mm-hmm. I think that that is an interesting thing to view this through because not only is there this moral question of what's right and wrong, but there's this legal question of we they are probably owed something to some degree. And and through that lens, the idea of, hey, I'd just like to set up this Indian country, that seems like a very valid and very small ask, especially because that was guaranteed to them by the way our government operated. And so I think that's an interesting yeah. concept. You touched on it in the podcast, but yeah, yeah, we didn't go in super deep. Yeah. Which leads to my third point, which is... <laughs> It's, he's so interesting, and this is kind of what Gary was talking about in this like great like confluence of all of these personality and physical traits, the oration. So much of the story of Native Americans is our government dealing with them in a way that they don't understand, like the idea of private land ownership. And so like to treat with them in that way is kind of dirty pool. And then here we have somebody like, Tecumseh, who understands the concept, is well-versed in the way of the American people, but then also has the backbone to stand up and go, I reject that. So I'm going to lead my people with this understanding into a way that could potentially um, bring success. And I think that's another just really fascinating aspect of his unique personhood. Yeah. You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up, and then it hits me hard. I'm getting older, too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. Making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at Meet fabric.com slash bear that's m-e-e-t fabric.com slash bear meetfabric.com slash bear policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions sport dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. People at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. To track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. 
go to www.sportdog.com slash bear grease to learn more. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. James, what did you think? Well, there are a couple aspects of it that jumped out to me. The, the first part of it that I was really struck by because I think if you if you took the names off of all the different parties in it and just told the story from from the standpoint of um a charismatic leader an oppressed people or, or you could say it from an oppressed people or you could even say it from a standpoint of people who are who felt like they were being treated badly maybe or they weren't because history is full of um, these figures and you touched on it uh, this once in a lifetime or once in a generation, these people who come along who can inspire a revolution, right? So good revolutions and bad revolutions have, have happened throughout history. So that was the first thing that kind of struck me is that this is one of those kind of stories that just, didn't result in the kind of happy ending or, um, you know, if it was, if it was put Churchill in there or put Gandhi in there as Tecumseh. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they were victorious. We would remember the history differently, but he wasn't victorious. Right. Right. And so ultimately, wait, what? He doesn't win? Oh, God. I, hey, I wait till the... you hear Ben Barnes comment on that. Love it. I asked him. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's up for debate. Okay. So so you... I understand your point. I was making a joke. Yeah, joke. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great yeah. point, though. Yeah. So, but you... That's the thing that struck me was how it's a charismatic... It, it's a charismatic leader who... And the second thing that, that I kind of saw was you had said that you had this religious movement started as a religious movement and then, you know, with his brother and then he came along and added the political and military component to it. Mm -hmm. Okay. How often has that happened? Even fairly recently. Yeah. You know, so history has this way of repeating itself. Yeah. And then, and then thinking about how you were, you had mentioned that they, back to the the storytelling and the way that they spoke and how that was basically borrowed here you had people on essentially two opposite sides right so the europeans who were moving in wanted to conquer 
and their and their leadership and their you know the religious leaders their political leaders were looking at their opposition and copying what they admired that their opposition was able to do mm-hmm. i mean that still happens too yeah every day um you know one side gets a little bit ahead and then the other side copies their tactics and they get a little bit ahead or yeah I, I, so, so the overarching thing there for me is that I was struck by how easily you could, you could take this story and place it in so many other times yeah. in history. Well, and you have just, the same you just thing. took the punchline from, uh, from episode two, James. So Thanks now, a lot. Now you're fired. Thanks oh, a lot. You're I not getting the invite back. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. Dang no, it. that's a great observation. Because that's what I talk about it with Dave Edmonds, and it's so interesting to hear him describe it. In that, when you turn a bunch of people loose in the in the same place, and there's there's border conflicts and cultural conflicts, like the Native Americans and the the Americans, basically all the same stuff like always happens. Mm-hmm. It's different different players, different characters. Different, little different scenarios, but some it's really similar. So, yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good observation. I also thought it was really interesting how the reaction was: "Hey, we got to get rid of this modern stuff that's coming in here and go back to our simpler way of life." Isn't that interesting? I mean, mm-hmm. so much of history is that conflict between progress and and our roots. It is. It's like we feel it. Personally, we feel it generationally. We feel it as a country, and and that's always the political tension, pretty much anywhere. Yep, it's the political tension in this country. Yep, is that well, you know, who was the America from fifty years ago? We're not that anymore. And and it's an and it's an idealized way. Also, right. can be. Right. You know, we remember the good things from the past, and we forget the whatever. You know, we forget the. Uh, childhood poverty or you know birth rates or you know whatever it is that we that we kind of gloss over from the past that wasn't yeah. as good what do you think dad didn't have a thought yeah well i've had a several but i uh, forget them pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> remember the uh, past it, you know the the point you just made about going back the way we used to be, you know, I, I thought that was really critical. You see it all mm-hmm. through our society today. I want to go back the way we were to 20 years ago. I mean, uh, <clears throat> how we teach our kids, all this stuff, they had the same issues. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the civil war, you know, wherever you go, I mean, it's, it, we, we fight the same demons. And when they, when, uh, his brother received this vision or whatever it was, this dream, he, uh, he went around the country as an evangelist, and they said a lot of the early evangelists were Indians, like yeah. Oral Roberts. Was and stuff, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That's it, a that overlap <laughs> was really interesting, and I saw it coming in the book before they actually said it. So, in the way the book structured, it talks about Tenskwatawas, uh, Tenskwatawas, mm-hmm. his vision and the components of the doctrine. And I'm as I'm reading it, I'm thinking. This is a lot. There's a lot of overlap with Christianity. Sounds like a circuit yeah. preacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you got the you got the serpent. I mean, that's t- 
ties oh, yeah, right I in with what that. we believe. And then you've got right the away. master, whatever they call it. Master you know? of life. So you got God and Satan. And, and a thing. lot of it, you know, we couldn't get into like all the doctrine just because it just, there's only so much. I tried to give people just what they need to understand. But the whole thing was about gaining access back to the great spirit, which is essentially yeah. the, the story of Christianity, access to God. You know, and and so the, it was the same thing. It, or it was it was it was a similar story, and it was so interesting to hear. Go ahead, go ahead. Before I forget it, yeah. Uh, he said the brother said that uh, I've already forgotten it. <laughs> but the the point that I'm driving at, I've talked to Indians, uh, you know, people that I know today, and they say one great thing that came from all this was Christianity, and. Uh, so there was some good that came. I'll raise my hand again. I'm getting too old to be on the render. Hey, I, hey, here you go. Here's a, here's a here point. Is. Here it is. Here's a point. No, this isn't it. This is better. This is <laughs> okay. Even better. When I think about the render, the brotherhood, the bond that we have here, we eat out of the same bowl. We eat out of the same with the same spoon. There you go. Same stuff. Strong man. metaphor, huh? Yeah, there you go. Does anybody yeah, want the sugar metaphor. cube I've been chewing on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pass the sugar cube. That's what we're going to start doing. No, I thought I thought that was super interesting that yeah. the, the at the time of the great awakening in this country and there were all there was this frontier Christian revival, same same time this was happening. Super interesting. And um yeah, the the the, the the miracles were very interesting. Mm-hmm. The eclipse. So when you read it, there's some guys that just straight up say Tenskwatawa knew there was an eclipse coming, and it just it just it worked. William out Henry perfectly. Harrison just like you know yeah. threw him a softball, you know, a slow pitch, and just let him knock it out of the park. But I mean, I don't know how how fast does word travel about a solar eclipse? I mean, today even with Instagram, I I only know him about a few days before they happen, <laughs> and he was he said it fifty days before. Um, I, I don't know. And then, but no one can predict an earthquake. No. No. Don't, do you think? Know. Do you think? Do you think Tecumseh was like it happened, or do you think he was like lucked out on that one? I, I, <laughs> dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Robert Morgan. Yeah. He said he. he New said, York we'll Times bestseller. Author Robert Morgan. Yep. Hey, he blamed a lot of the problems, not on the white man, but on the way they were living. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I mean, that was, that was pretty insane. I mean, you know, I mean, they, uh, we do the same thing today. We talk the same way today a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. They, they said that it was a, it was a punishment for, they believed that what was happening to their culture was a, was a punishment for them assimilating. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And the, the other part of this story, the more I learned about these things, is that this all didn't happen real quick. Like right now, when we tell the story, we say, yeah, there, were, there was a civilization here, and then that civilization was basically moved and removed. This thing took place over the course of several hundred years. And so I was really, I mean, almost disappointed in a way when I learned that a lot of the Shawnees rejected Tecumseh and his brother. I mean, mm-hmm. you just kind of were like, doggone it, really? And you said JC, man. I'm not too sure about that, brother. 
<laughs> I mean, he was what, the one who said a prophet wasn't being accepted in his hometown. Yes. Oh, what, what, uh, what, it's interesting to think about the timeline. So they accepted <clears throat> European settlement, 1492, right? Took a couple of goes to start. If you want to look at the Vikings settling sooner, that's a different thing. But if you just go with 1492, we've not been the United States of America longer than we have, right? And so, like, it seems like this very short, compressed thing, but, like, that's almost 300 years before Tecumseh comes along. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of time. That's a yeah. lot of time, especially in the They New were World. talking about Christopher Columbus the same way we are. Yeah. I mean, the difference between 300 and 500 years. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a complicated history. And, and it, it, it is intimidating to do a series like this because, um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this is an all-inclusive, that this podcast is going to cover everything about Tecumseh's life. That would be impossible. But, man, I want it to have mm-hmm. as much as it, it can that makes sense of the time. And to me, like the, the, the revelations that I have about these things as I study them is what I put on the podcast. And I thought it was a powerful metaphor, the soccer game. Oh, that's it, great. It would be like trying to describe what it would be like for the Native Americans and, and with an understanding of their understanding of, of private land ownership, which I'm fascinated with. Mm-hmm. I own a piece of land that's not here, a small piece of land. And when I go there, that's not where I live. Okay. We, we got own it. another little mm-hmm. piece of property. When I go there. Can you drop me a pen? Negative. I'm, I'm like I don't own this place. This is ridiculous. This is this is a joke. I don't own this place. Yeah, I've got the right to be here. Nobody else does. I don't own this place. Uh-huh. I, I for real feel like that when I'm standing there. I'm like this is not this is this is a very abstract weird feeling. I identify with those guys. Yeah. But okay, soccer game. When you understand that a the Native American a lot of the tribes that their connection to their gods and the spiritual world is very site specific, super good intel yeah. to understand their culture. And then for a group to come in that had private land ownership, worldview and understanding, it would be like a soccer game forming in your yard around you. And the rules of the game violate your worldview. You don't understand them. You don't know them. But you're in the. You find yourself in the middle of the game, I and th- whoever wins gets the land. Yeah. To just like flesh this out a little bit further, on my point number two, I feel like the rules of the game are additionally convoluted by the fact that the opponent is telling you the rules and then changing yeah. them. There you go. That's it. <laughs> you that can was, pick yeah. up the ball. Whistle. See, you, you your point up the number ball. two is just way too long. You should have just said that. We'd all got it. Pick up the ball. And then <laughs> they cheated at the soccer game. We'd ad- all know what you meant. Additionally, you're not really aware that you're going to lose your house at the beginning of the game. Right. It just slowly unfolds that like, hold up. And yeah, we're just going to play for fun. Somebody yeah. just moved a bed. <laughs> They're going to give you somewhere else, but you got to walk there. Yeah. yeah. The, the most amazing thing to me is what James said. Dang it. We've got a hero that lost. That's just yeah. uncalled for in it's not American America. culture. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, but I bet, but I think history is probably full of that. Oh yeah, that's the thing is well, history is right, littered probably. with these people that have done amazing things, 
but they just didn't win. And whoever won gets to write the history. It, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and the yeah, the just don't always win. I mean, they they don't. They don't win. Um I thought the other thing, if I was if I had been asked, uh-huh. Misty, why don't you ask me? Clay, what did you You think? got to make the podcast. What? No, you asked me, Misty. What did you think? What did you what was your favorite part? Was oh, thanks for asking. That's great. To me, one of the most interesting parts was about the influence of Native American culture on early American identity. I thought that was super interesting. I think that's way underrated. And I'll walk you even more through what I said on the podcast. So, the, the, the and I hope it made sense. It did. I think the difference between Europeans today, like you just go get a random sampling of a guy from Europe and you put him with a random guy from, I don't know, just a state in this country. And it would help if that guy was somehow connected to the land in a way, not somebody from urban America. I think the difference between those guys, which would be a vast difference, if you could really trace it back, if you could do a ancestryandme.com with culture and figure out kind of where they came from, I think the difference is the Native American influence that impacts us to this day. Because when you think, because the Daniel Boone was the first real American non-governmental hero. America's first heroes were like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and these kind of guys. The only guys written more about than Boone are those two in American history, American literature. The only two guys written more about. And Boone, so Boone, in a philosophical level, taught us how to be an American. He was an archetype. And Daniel Boone was tried for treason, Josh. Because they thought he was an Indian. He, he, he went and, and lived with them, became adopted with them, knew, knew um, the Shawnee language, knew how to trade. He would come back and they wouldn't trust him. They're like, dude, you can't trust that guy. He's been with, you know, these domestic terrorists. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was so influenced by the Native Americans and all these frontiersmen were. I mean, they taught us how to live in this place. I think that's fascinating. I think I it's fascinating. And uh, uh, point of order, real quick. Uh, my dad, who is wonderful and listens to the podcast religiously, Chris Neal, called on the way down here and said, "What Chris say?" He said, "Is Clay sure that all of his descendants are white Europeans?" I said, "Most of them." Your descendants? Mm-hmm. You did say that because oh, yeah. I, I paid attention. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have. No, You should be very sure about this, actually. Clay. You should be extremely sure. I didn't get it the first time he said it. Either. I caught it. I caught it. I don't. Are I don't. you sure all of your Missy. descendants are all your descendants? Oh, <laughs> descendants. oh no. They and tell you, Snail. You and, and I both missed it. Okay. I listened to the podcast twice yesterday. Missed it okay. and missed it when he first said. Okay, it. okay. I see okay. what you're okay. saying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I love it. It's like being on LinkedIn. But when you're on LinkedIn and you make a grammatical error, you're hammered. <laughs> on Instagram, they'll let it slide. <laughs> Yeah. Instagram doesn't even let you edit some of your things to fix those grammatical er- errors. Got it. Yeah. No, tell Chris I'm sorry. I did. I was listening well, so to the uh, good point. The Meat Eater podcast with what they do the, yep. the 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 game the game show one. Yes, trivia. Yep. Trivia. And Spencer Newhart said 
pronunciation. He did? Ooh. He did. Oh, oh, no. It's viral. Yeah. No. I love it. Yeah. It is. It's, it's like great. a sickness. It's spreading. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, great. yesterday Clay Influencer said right pronunciation. You did? He did. Oh, yeah. He said it in the podcast. And when I was I listening to, really... to it, I paused and said, is that how you say that? <laughs> Surely that can't be right. You're a total influencer, Clay. Mm. Well... Well, so what's coming up on episode number two, Clay? The second half of Tecumseh's life. Okay. Second half of his life. So we really haven't even got into the to what he he did, which is he was highly involved in the War of 1812. Right. Sided with the British. Okay. So he's totally, totally in with the British. So, no, a fascinating guy. And uh, we didn't even talk about him being a hunter. That was the main thing he was known as as a young man was a great hunter. Oh, yeah. None of us picked up on that. 40 deer? Yeah. He killed 40, 40 deer? 40 I think, deer in I three think that's, days. It's funny. That's the part that Clay really questioned in the whole story. He's like, <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know about the 40 deer. No. <laughs> I know something about hunting, and <laughs> that is not. Well, it's possible. But no, when I'm reading all these things, especially when there's a guy that far back, a lot of the questions I have for some of these historians, and I've learned a lot from Robert Morgan and from some of these other guys, is like, how do we know that? Like, how, how do we know he did that? Because, I mean, I, I, I hope he did that, but I want to know how. And a lot of them, when they come from multiple sources that it's are a good indicator. But some things are just like you'd trace it back and you'd be like, yeah, somebody wrote that in their journal and they never even met the guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the, the point story, stands that even if it was half that, if it was a tenth of that, <laughs> yeah. you would be a great hunter. Like yeah. if I killed four day, four deer in three days, somebody would be like, dude, that Isaac guy knows how to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting it done. Yeah. So I think the point stands. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was known as a great hunter in the, in the Shawnee nation. And that was a major deal for yeah. them. That was like that was being that was be, like being a NBA athlete. Speaking of hunting, what's coming up on March fourth? Black Bear Bonanza, nine a.m. to five p.m. at the Benton County Quail Barn in Bentonville, Arkansas. Shoot, dang. Yep, get your tickets ten dollars each. <sighs> the website backcountryhunters.org. Yep. Go to the events page if and you have a, find it. If you have a protest you want to launch, you might try that. An audio based protest you might try that during the bear grease render recording what do you mean i'm just i'm just trying to in, in incentivize some people to come out that might not otherwise oh, you think they might start like yeah. chanting yeah could like, be let i don't misty know talk. Yeah. let misty talk <laughs> I, I was thinking if you have an owl hoot you should yeah. be practicing uh, yeah. Ooh, That's, big, yeah and it doesn't yeah. matter where you're listening hey, i think either. we're gonna get yeah. to the point where we're gonna have to have uh like qualifying rounds. Oh, we wow. might. We had so a lot of not, people last because year. It would be, yeah. If it was like an hour and a half of people getting up there and out hooting, it, you'd get yeah. tired of it. Yeah. But how, you'd have to have... How many competitors did you have last year? I mean, like, probably 40. I think oh, so. Are you serious? I that think way? we had about 40 people. The I mean, it was a lot. in Arkansas were good. I'm um, just going to say that. I'm not saying they were all from Arkansas, but we've been to other places wow, this year. And that, but you, you do the get the, you do get the guys that... Probably have never outhooted much. They so just mm-hmm, want to right. get up there and have a fun time, right? Which is cool. Yep. Uh, what are the chances of me doing all right with a trench coat and a real owl? Man, if well, you first get of up all, there with a, if you can make it, if you can put an owl under your trench coat and make it hoot, I say let him go. Mm. That's yeah. Yeah. I, do bonus it. points. Bonus points for execution, right? Yeah. But <laughs> game and fish will be there, so just <laughs> yeah. be wary. Yeah. 
That's what the you trench coat is for. for a Bardell. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a Bardell. I know you do. Mm. <laughs> I know you do, Clay. Mm. Well, hey, this has been great. This has been great. This is uh, this is a long this is a long time coming for me. I've been planning this for a long time to come. So it's true. Yep. Yeah. All Very right. Good. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds i like pot calls i just like pot calls i enjoy calling with a pot call whatever direction you go including a box call which i don't personally use too much but they're fun and great and i started out with them yanni on the other hand one of my main turkey hunting buddies he loves box calls and what's funny is i'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey so it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.